Um, you don't need to be a data expert to work with data. No business should actually be making decisions if it's not underpinned by data, because then you're just using your gut feel. We live in a world that is inundated with a lot of information. Hi leaders, welcome to yet another episode of Access Genie, the podcast that opens the doors to success in the world of entrepreneurship. We're coming to you live from the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, a super spectacular getaway right in the heart of North Cliff for business and pleasure. I'm Ansela Numbeo and today we're having such an incredible conversation for every entrepreneur and decision maker out there. It is a conversation around how you can use data to make Profitable Financial Decisions for Your Business. Please help me welcome Nolly Mauder, an incredible person who's going to teach you about how to use data to grow your business. Let me read her bio because... It is incredible. Nolly Mauto is a chief data and analytics officer within the Merchant Services Business Unit at FNB. She has spoken in over, wait for it, 50 conferences, summits, webinars, and the likes in the last four years. And of course, she carries a lot of awards. Nolly has won multiple awards, among them the Finovex Financial Woman Trailblazer of the Year 2023. She was also on the Global Data Power Woman list two times in a row. She was also selected as one of the global top 100 data and analytics leaders in 2022. And she was also named as one of the CDO Global Data Power Women 2022 and many more. She's done so well for herself that if I read her entire bio, we'll spend the entire episode talking about her. But the important thing and the important takeaway from this conversation today is really understanding how we can use data to grow our businesses and how we make decisions that are data-driven. But to start off the conversation, Nolly, maybe tell us a little bit more about what your role within F&B entails and what that looks like. All right. Thank you, Insula, and for yeah. the invitation. So as a Chief Data Analytics Officer, which we refer to as a CDAO, I actually look after four streams in my team. So there is a business intelligence stream, there is a data management stream, there's an analytics or data science stream and a pricing stream. So my job as a chief analytics officer is firstly to ensure that we are aligning to the bigger bank's data strategy and ensuring that we're actually implementing that from a day-to-day -day basis. Also looking after the data monetization of the use cases that we actually create as a, as a business unit. And more importantly, ensuring that we actually create business intelligence and analytics that our stakeholders can actually use to actually make quick decisions for the various functional areas and other business units. I think that's a quick summary. Yeah, that's really incredible. You're talking about those diverse spaces that, that you are in. But data analytics in itself is not something that is has been there for the longest time. I think when I look at it, I, I really started seeing it evolve in the late 2000s with companies like Google and Facebook. And now if you're an entrepreneur, you can go on your Facebook page and you can see the best time to post your, your audiences, where they're from, what they like, et cetera, et cetera. 
But you fell in love with the space even before then, before it became the trend that we hear today. What drove you to a space to follow this type of career? All right. Honestly, I my career journey was not a linear one, right? I honestly fell into data analytics. My first undergrad was actually a become accounting because at that th- point in time, I actually thought I wanted to study accounting and become a chartered accountant. And long story short, I then transitioned into financial management and investments. And when I started actually working in one of the biggest international management consulting firms, and as you know how they actually work, they actually put you in different teams and different projects at different clients. Mm-hmm. That's where I actually came across this team that had all these um, dashboards, like very bright, beautiful, you could see the trends. And I walked up to them and actually asked them, what were they doing? And they actually told me that they were the business intelligence team. So I actually started spending a bit more time with them. But in varsity, I'd actually studied informatics. So I knew how to actually code in C++ and Java. But they were actually coding in in a programming language called SQL or SQL. So long story short, I actually taught myself how to code in SQL and actually started growing my portfolio of evidence and slowly but surely transitioned into data and analytics. So that's what I'm saying. It's not one of those things. It was a career I even knew about Mm -hmm. in high school. I didn't know it existed. Right. You know, the typical ones of being a lawyer, a doctor. An engineer. Um, so I literally fell in love with data analytics once I was actually exposed to it. And as they say, then the rest was history. Yeah. I love that you talk about how you saw a team doing business intelligence and you felt comfortable enough to go and ask them what they were doing and they were able to help you and give you some information and guidance yes. that then in turn helped you grow into the space that you're in today, which is something that most people will say they don't see, especially within the corporate space, right? This idea of mentorship and over and above mentorship, the idea of sponsorship, where there'll be somebody in a space who can say, I know a young, incredible person who could benefit from this or who could add value in this kind of projects that we're doing. How has mentorship or sponsorship played a role in accelerating your career? Oh gosh, I think it's been very pivotal, right? So just for your audience, just to define the difference, and I'm even going to start with a life coach because mm-hmm. that's also a concept that is very prevalent at the moment. So a life coach will speak to you. A mentor will speak with you. And a sponsor will speak about you. So for me, I've been very privileged to actually not have formal mentors per se, Um, but it's actually a lot of male allies who've actually guided me from a career perspective. That is something I I truly treasure. And then also have had the experience of actually getting sponsors. And the thing is with sponsorship is it's somebody who actually is putting their name on the line to actually speak about you in places that you don't even know exist, right? And that for me is something that I truly treasure because they're saying that this person has the skills, knowledge, ability, and experience to actually do this work. So they're literally putting your name up. Whereas a mentor is actually speaking to you and guiding you based on their own personal experiences. So if you've been through something, why must I go through it when I can actually learn from your own experiences? So I've been privileged enough to actually have those. And I think more importantly is um, 
when I was actually going through my career, as I said, it was mostly men that actually helped me from a mentorship and sponsorship perspective. And that's why also inadvertently, I decided to start my own mentorship program because I also wanted to give something that I did not receive because unfortunately there was a female CEO that I'd approached previously earlier in my career to actually ask them to sponsor me. And they actually told me I was actually too ambitious for their liking based on the goals and dreams that I had for my career. Like literally told me to sit down and mind my business. And that's how I ended up starting my own female mentorship program where I mentor females because I wanna give what I personally did not receive as much as I'm very grateful to all the men that had actually helped me throughout this journey. But mentorship and sponsorship are extremely important, right? As I said, um, they help you to actually pivot and not go through certain experiences um, based on other people's experiences. And I think also more importantly, open up doors for you in, in places that you normally wouldn't um, be, be in. And it's very important if an individual can actually find one person who can be both. Mm -hmm somebody who can mentor you and also sponsor you at the same time. And for me, it's actually ensuring that you are intentional about that, finding those people, walking up to them, introducing yourselves, networking with them, and ensuring that you can actually prove your skills and abilities in order for them to open up those doors that you desperately need. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I think as, as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm reminded of how many stories I've heard of people saying they've approached somebody in a huge position of power or somebody that they looked up to yeah. and they were just shut down. And then it's some sort of somewhat creates a, a space of competition with people that we look up to, to people who are trying to, to grow up. And I think it requires a huge mindset shift from the people who are in positions of privilege and power to understand that they also have a, a role to play with the next generation and the people who are younger. 100%. How did you get to learn that and understand that that's a role that you should play and fulfill in the world? Oh gosh, um, I can honestly say for me, um, and I do apologize for any of the audience that are not religious. I think more importantly, believe, believe in God. But I'm going to say for me, that's something that God placed in my heart, right? Mm -hmm. um, to actually become the leader that I never had. And the only way you can actually do that is to actually be intentional about that, right? Um, so for me, I then decided, like I literally made a mental decision to actually say that from this day on, this is how I'm going to show up for the people that I actually manage, for the people that I mentor, for the people that I actually lead. And as a result, that's where, why I ended up where I am. Um, I think mostly as the type of leader that I am, right? Um, I'm going to say I, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of two types of leaders. I'm a transformational leader and a servant leader because I really believe we're placed here to actually serve the people that actually we work with. Um, for me, it's about ensuring that I leave people better off than how I found them, right? Any encounter that people have with me, I want people to feel like, oh, wow, I had to have met Nolly. Like my life literally is better off, even if it's for that just one second. And that for me is the legacy I'm trying to actually leave, especially with regards to the corporate environment, because we know how corporate is. Corporate can be brutal, right? 
So you want to make sure that you're the type of person that people can go to, they can rely on, that they can actually share with, get guidance from, and be guided by, right? And for me, the support component is extremely important. So it's about intentionality. I'm extremely intentional with who I am and everything that I actually do. Yeah. And while you're doing so much to give back and to leave this legacy, there is also that version of you and you also needing to people to pour into you how do you ensure that then your cup doesn't get emptied by all the good deeds that you're doing and that you also keep growing and feel full and alive while you're serving yeah so part of that is also being intentional about every aspect of my life right um like people always say like Nolly, how do you do everything that you do and I'm like I literally have a 25 hour day because I'm a planner I'm a structured a-type individual so I literally wake up and I plan my day. I need to know what I'm doing for each hour of the day. There's the Nolly that shows up at work as a chief analytics officer. There's the Nolly that shows up as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter. Everything has its place, right? And because of that, I'm also intentional about self-care. I am one person that is selfish about pouring into myself because I've been there where you're at the verge of burnout, right? And you really can't give from an empty cup. So I make sure that I go for my facials, I go for my massages, the weekend getaways. I'm very selfish about that. And apart from that, I've got an amazing support system, right? Um, from my husband, from my parents. Um, I literally speak to my parents every single day. And then also just, I actually have a board of advisors. And that is something I would also advise your audience, especially the ones that are in business to actually look at, right? And this is a concept you can Google. It's called a personal board of advisors. Those are the people that you surround yourself with that help pour into you. They actually show a mirror to your face and actually tell you the truth, right? Um, they're not there to be yes people. They tell you when you're wrong. They tell you where you're right. They, they help guide you in various forms. So they actually play different hats and I'm very clear about the hats that they they play. So literally we have a memorandum of understanding. So everybody's clear on their role. And part of that is yes, one of the people that I have will be a mentor. One of them is actually a sponsor. Some of them are actually part of my prayer circle. Um, others are there from a consultative per, uh, basis, but everybody's clear on the role that they play in my life and to help drive me forward and help me achieve the goals that I have. That's amazing. And when you have this board of advisors, I think one of the things that I've struggled with, and I would assume like a lot of our viewers have also struggled with, is keeping that network going, right? Yeah. Because everybody gets busy in their lives and their day to day, and you can't be calling somebody every day or texting every day. And it's not that space where you're in constant communication. How do you keep that relationship or those relationships alive so much that when you need that kind of sponsorship or the mentorship or the advice, whatever it is that they fulfill in your life, it's an easy call to make and it's an easy answer for them to give? Yeah. Um, so I always say, and even to my mentees, for me personally, whenever I show up, I show up as Nolly to PTY LTD. First of all, that for me is a mindset that people need to have. You need to treat yourself as the brand that you are, right? Most companies have boards of advisors, and that's what your personal board is there for, right? So with regards to those people, as I said, we've got a memorandum of understanding. 
that everybody is clear about their roles and responsibilities. Part of that is also the engagements, right? So we actually have monthly meetings. And that meeting actually has an agenda about the things that we'll actually be discussing. So it's actually structured, it's actually productive. You're not meeting for the sake of actually meeting without having an end goal in mind of what you're trying to actually achieve. Same thing with my husband. As much as he's my husband, he's actually part of my board from a formal perspective. So even the meetings I have with him, we will literally go and have a formal meeting, as an example, at a restaurant, and we have an agenda that we're going to be speaking to. We're not talking about the relationship, the kids, the marriage. It is about these formal things that we need to actually address and um, that there's outputs that we're trying to get from there. When it actually comes to the networking component and keeping the constant communication, I think for me, that's about being authentic and true to yourself and how you present yourself to people. So my network, understand how I communicate. That's something I'm clear about. I'm not the type of person that is constantly on the phone calling people, WhatsApping people, etc. But I'm very clear about keeping in touch right? In the sense that I'll check up on you, even if it's once a month or once every two months. There's certain individuals in my life that know, even if I check up on them six monthly, they're okay with Mm -hmm. it because they understand that's how I actually communicate, right? But if I then pick up a phone and I call you, I WhatsApp you, because you understand how we communicate, then you know that this is something that's actually important that I actually need to address. Um, so we actually have strat sessions, by the way, right? Also with my, um, my board, um, that we actually plan in advance. So we actually have, it's like you have your AGM meetings and your board meetings. Those are actually formalized where the personal board is concerned, but the general network is I ensure that the specific people in my network that I know what role they actually play. Whether you're an acquaintance, whether you're a friend, you're a colleague, et cetera, then I know how to communicate with you effectively in that regard. But I always ensure that I, I touch base. I check up on you and how you're doing, how life's going, how business is going, where you need help from me. Because it's a two-way street. It's not always about wanting things from people and you're always just taking. You always need to balance it out with also always giving, ensuring your door is also open for them, whatever they need. For sure. And... When I think about data, I realize that we all use data on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Sometimes I think it's subconscious and you're not really sure that you're using data. For example, uh, my husband and I have been looking around to see where we can invest in a property this year. And when we're trying to make that decision, we're looking at what kind of schools are in that area, um, what kind of tenants would we have in that area, how much can they afford, what's their LSM, what's the crime rate in the area, etc and that is data that we're using to be able to make that informed decision on what kind of property you would purchase what's your earliest what, what's the earliest time in your life that you remember using data to make any sort of decision like that um i think the earliest i actually remember was uh, my last year of varsity because at that point in time was actually um, applying for employment because mm-hmm. now you know you're going to need to get employed. So I needed to do my research about what type of employers I actually wanted to apply for from a graduate program perspective. Um, I was actually clear I wanted to be in the financial services industry or in management consulting. So with management consulting, there's like 
the top five mm-hmm. big management consulting firms that are international that you'd okay. go and do your research on with the banks. You had the big four, right? Um, so you do your research about the type of programs they have, the salaries, the type of job responsibilities you'd be getting and opportunities. So that for me was the first time I intentionally uh, remember actually doing research to actually make a decision that I think would impact me. I think, as you said, we use data on a day-to-day basis, but I think we're not cognizant that this is actually data that we're doing and we're doing data mining and we're using that data at our fingertips to actually make such decisions. Yeah. And data is important, right? So if you look at some of the world's biggest companies today, they really make their money through data. Um, Facebook last year made $114 billion in revenue and Google made about $215 billion or so. And 80% of those that revenue was coming from advertising, of which every advertiser then uses data to be able to make those decisions and, and, and for the advertising to go through. What kind of things should entrepreneurs be thinking about in their own businesses to be able to make such data-driven decisions to be able to one day make the 114, $215 billion type of revenue? I think the first thing they need to think about is their data collection strategy. We live in a world that is inundated with a lot of information, a lot of data, but most organizations, especially small businesses, don't know what to do with that data. So yes, you're sitting with all this data and then what, right? So you need to be clear, I think more importantly, is what's the strategy that you actually have as a business and what you're actually trying to achieve. So that will then speak to how you collect the data, what you're going to be using that data for. So as an example, we'll we'll talk to the small businesses, right? So you've got CRM, which stands for Customer Relationship Management System, such as Salesforce. If you're actually collecting data and have a CRM system, that will actually allow you to have one holistic place or central repository where your data sits about your customers. So it's one view of your customer, as an example. You spoke about Google, um, Facebook, etc. They use web analytics, right? And that's something even small businesses can do, where you're actually tracking the customers that are actually going to your website. What are they clicking? What are they actually purchasing? What do they like, don't like, right? That will actually help you to make the necessary decisions about how to actually even improve your website, as an example. You've got online forms and surveys that you could actually um, create where you then can get firsthand feedback, opinions, preferences from your customers in your business to actually help you drive the business better and even the profits. Um, As an example, if somebody's on your website busy purchasing the same products on a month-to-month basis, then that should actually help you be proactive about sending an email to actually advertise that we know you're going to be buying this product again next month. How about we give you a discount for purchasing three months in advance, as an example, right? Um, Then if you have a business that actually has a point of sale, so a point of sale system or machine, that will actually help you track the transaction history, the customer behavior, the products and inventory. So there's a lot of ways that small businesses should be using their data at hand to actually help drive their businesses. Mm -hmm. Another component you could actually use data for as a small business is not just about from a customer perspective. It's about also operations and productivity. 
Your data will help you identify where you've got bottlenecks, right? Where you've got pain points, where you've got inefficiencies. So you can actually help then drive those inefficiencies and rectify them. Actually re-engineer engineer new processes that will actually help productivity. So there's lots that small businesses can do. And all of these things don't need to break the bank, honestly, right? Um, you don't need to be a data expert to work with data. For me, honestly, if you've got Excel, a spreadsheet, that's all you need. Mm. And it can actually help you data mine using Excel. Let's let's do this. Let, let me throw it to you like a, a case study at you, right? Okay. Um, MK here is, uh, uh, I was talking to MK about how you're coming and how you're great with data. And I was talking to him about how even in his business, he should be thinking about data. So for a person like MK who runs a content creation business where they do videos, photography, sound, and all of that, yes. how does that business... Uh, mine data and then translate it into actual information they can use for growth of their business. Okay. So MK, this one is for you, right? There's a lot of free data sets online. So I would actually, as MK, go and actually search Google, literally, free data sets in photography, in videography, right? So you can actually then use those data sets to actually give you the information you need about your competitors. What does data sets mean? Let, maybe let's break it down <laughs> a little bit more about when I'm Googling this, mm. MK is just seeing data sets and something that can scroll past, right? Because yeah. what are data sets? So the simplest way to describe what a data set is, it's literally a grouping of information that is specific to a topic. So as I said, he'll then Google a data set on photography and we'll get that information back. And the data sets that he Googles, he can actually limit them to South Africa, to Africa, to globally, right? Because as much as you're a small business in South Africa, you can be competing with other international organizations. So what he then gets back is that information. So data sets will then be information that is specific to what he's actually Googled for his particular industry. Um, there's a lot of content creators, as an example. So he can literally Google data sets regarding the content creation industry to help him understand what other people are doing, right? Because that's the whole point of having data, is to see where you are as an as-is versus what other people are doing and how you can then move from point A to point B to help elevate you to the next level. So I would say that for me is where he'd need to start. Secondly, I mean, let's say he's been operational for three or four years, right? So he understands how he's been operating. So part of this or collecting this data is to also see how other people are operating, where he's got gaps, where he can actually create those improvements in how he actually operates, right? How he can be more efficient. As an example, let's say on his website, he says that um, you can log a request for him to come and do photography at your event and he'll come back to you within 24 hours. Meanwhile, his competitors have a one hour turn back period, right? To actually give feedback. That for me is where you're using data to help you become more competitive, right? It's, it gives you a holistic overview of not just how you operate, but how other people in that industry are operating. Yeah. That's really amazing. MK and every other photographer or content creator out there, I hope you also realize that you also have an opportunity to use data within your space to, to make business decisions. A lot of people say that 
data is the new oil and it is the most valuable resource that we have today in the world. Do you agree? And if so, why? Um, so I agree, but personally, I would not say it's the new oil. I would actually say it's the new soil, right? Mm -hmm. Because what you plant in a soil as a seed, if you actually nurture it, um, it will grow and then they will have harvest season, right? Whereas in with oil, oil is limited with regards to where you can actually find oil. So I agree 100%. We are living in an age where historically data or information was very scarce. There were certain experts you'd need to go to to actually get information from them to actually help drive decisions, right? Let's take the old age um, where um, people were navigating the world with ships. In order for them to actually get from Europe to Asia, there's certain people they'd need to go to to actually get maps of the world mm -hmm. so they could actually then um, travel. Whereas in today, that information is so readily available. But the problem is, we're inundated with too much information. So it becomes tricky for people to actually make decisions because there's just too much noise. Hence, I say it's about the soil mm -hmm. and you're growing a seed mm -hmm. and you nurture that seed so you can actually harvest from it. Mm -hmm. So that for me is about then using the right information to actually make the right decisions to help drive your business forward. Mm -hmm. So I agree 100%. That's amazing, using the right information and blocking out the noise because there's just so much data, right? Yes. And as I was preparing for this interview, I was really intrigued by the story of Blackberry and how they used to be the best. <laughs> I remember when I was in varsity, everybody wanted a Blackberry. Yeah. We're all on BBM. Everybody wanted a BBM pin because it was the phone to have, right? They had that instant messaging thing um, that other businesses didn't have at the at the time. There wasn't WhatsApp or, or, or Instagram, et cetera, at the time. And at their peak in 2007, Blackberry was a billion-dollar business, yeah. right? Uh, they had 43% of the U.S. market and 23% of the global market in terms of smartphones. Yet today, Blackberry, what? <laughs> <laughs> People don't even know Blackberry ever existed in that way. And yeah. because of the kind of business they were, they were using data. It's not like they were not aware of the data. They knew what kind of sales they were making. They knew who was buying from them and why people were buying from them. But where I think they missed the mark is understanding the shifting of the market, right? And concentrating more on the customer experience than the product and the value the product has in itself, which is what I think Apple did very well. That's why they really took over that BlackBerry market because they were like, you don't need this the, 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 the keypads all the time. You only need it when it comes back up and people care about themselves more, giving us selfie options, which BlackBerry didn't have and all of that. How can businesses learn to leverage data the right way, the right kind of data in the right way to not become BlackBerrys of the future? Okay. So I think majority of businesses, and I think all business, the whole point of actually having a business is you actually want to grow. You want to grow profits, you want to grow your customer base, um, your triple bottom line, right? So majority of businesses for me need to focus on the customer. It's about customer centricity because that's how you're going to keep getting repeat business. You need to be tailor-making 
your products, your services around your customer. And unfortunately, this is where a number of businesses fail. They think it's about them instead of the actual customer. And this is where personalization comes in. Businesses for me should actually be using the data at hand to actually help them drive customer experiences based on how they can actually personalize the customer experience on that product or service that you actually are providing. And that for me is what's going to give you the competitive, competitive edge. Because everybody also is talking about customer centricity here, then everywhere. But it's about how you can then leverage the data to actually put you ahead of the rest. Um, so as an example, right, if you are a business that actually, let's say you sell shoes and you've got an online business and you've got a brick and mortar, but you should be using data to actually see where you're driving most of the sales. Because you could be paying rent, you could be paying um, variable and fixed costs on a brick and mortar building versus online where those expenses are very minimized. So instead of actually focusing on actually both, maybe online should be where you should be based on what your finances actually look like. And then looking at actually shoes, right? Let's take women. We love shoes. And there's different types of shoes. There's heels, there's flats, there's sneakers. But what's actually on trend at the moment? So you should be personalizing the experience based on what your customers actually want. If you're seeing majority of your customers are actually going in online, buying a certain type of shoe, for me, it makes sense. That's the type of inventory then you should be having versus the inventory that's actually not selling. And people are not using that data to actually drive those type of decisions. The stock you're having, how often you replenish that stock, right? Um, if you know that the stock is going to be depleting a certain period of time, then the life cycle of that replenishment, the colors as an example, right? There's a lot that you should be using data to help drive those type of decisions. I mean, you're going to have now, we're heading to November, where you've got our Black Friday uh, Black Friday month. Um, okay, it's just, yeah, it's the Black Friday month, no longer Black Friday. Um, that should be helping you drive even how you are actually creating sales and promotions towards that. Um, the different marketing campaigns that you're utilizing should all be underpinned by data. And I think that for me even talks to the business strategy. I believe that no business should actually be making decisions if it's not underpinned by data, because then you're just using your gut feel. And your gut feel, what do they say when you assume you make an between you and me? Exactly. <laughs> so that's what you're doing with your business with all the long hours. You're just making a day between you and your customers, right? At the end of the day, and it doesn't really help. And there's a, there's a lot of ways in which people can collect data from their customers. But from a customer perspective, in some ways it can feel intrusive yes. when businesses are collecting data where when somebody says can I get your email address all of a sudden like no what what, what are you going to do with it and that's why I've seen for example the public act come into play to try and con uh, protect consumers um, from uh, uh, um, data collectors who are going to use your information anyway and in whichever way they want to use what are some of the key data collecting protocols that you think entrepreneurs should use that are legal and will not feel intrusive, but at the end of the day, they'll help them make financial decisions to help their businesses grow. Okay, thank you. Um, so I think the Puppy Act is one big one, right, from a South African perspective. Um, as a business owner, you need to understand the legislation and regulations that govern 
governs data collection for your individual businesses because you don't want to actually get sued, right? Um, from a South African perspective, perspective, yes, we've got the Poppy Act, but if you also are operating outside of South Africa, um, you actually need to actually see the regulations for those specific countries. We do lean a lot towards GDPRR. Um, Egypt um, have actually created their own um, AI ethics policy that they've recently uh, released. And there's a couple of other international organizations that have actually done that and countries, right? So, but when it comes to your own organization, I think the first thing is about from a data collection perspective, you need consent from your customers to actually collect their data. So you, if you don't actually have that consent on your website or, on, or in your store, that's something you need to make sure that you do, is actually get consent from customers, right? Secondly, you need to be clear on how you're gonna be handling the data that you're collecting, what you're gonna be doing with that data, who's gonna have access to that data, right? That is actually very important. Data needs to be anonymized, right? Um, I think from specifically from a privacy perspective. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that let's say you are working with credit card information. That credit card information we call PCI, which is personal customer information. So that needs to be tokenized. So it kind of means like you've got those extra asterisks. So people are not able to easily read what the card number is or the C, um, CVV number of the card, as an example. Secondly, um, is also ensuring that you're very transparent with what you're doing with your customer's data. Uh, we all get those spam calls and we have no idea where all these call centers are getting our numbers from. Um, but through me consenting, and most people don't do this, is actually read what the consent say. So you need to be clear on what those consent forms say, that this com company that's collecting your data have a right to actually share your data with a third party or not. If you agree, you agree. If you don't, you don't. But most companies that collect data also need to be transparent about where they're going to be sharing that data with, especially with third parties. And at any point in time as a customer, you've got the right to actually revoke your consent. So I might have approved consent a month ago, but now I'm being spammed too much. You have a right to actually ask the people that call you or email you to tell you where they got your information from and actually ask for that to be revoked. Um, and then I think also ensuring that you're transparent with your customers. Um, that for me, the privacy, the consent and the transparency are very important when running a business and what you're going to be doing with that data. Yeah. And I love that you touch on this intrusive calls, right? Recently, I got a call from a, a call center saying that they got a, my contact information from somebody I know, an acquaintance. They're selling a certain product and they think that I would be interested in it. And I'm like, I did not give that person consent to give you my information. They knew my address. They're like, oh, can we drop off you a gift? We know you at such, such, such and such an address. And it felt very intrusive. And so as an entrepreneur starting a business or running a business, how do I create trust between myself and my customers that the information that they give me is not going to end up in some third party site or being shared in a way in which they haven't given me the consent to use? So I love the fact that you use the word trust because mm -hmm. that, that is for me is very important. Um, and I always married the trust with the transparency. 
Um, so as an example, if you've got a form that they need to complete to actually give consent, that is where you'd actually put that information. The terms and conditions of your website now need to actually include consent management regarding what the data has been collected for and how it's actually going to be used. And that's how you can actually build trust with your customers. If they're very clear about your transparency um, by you actually revealing to them what exactly you're using that data for. And I think also more importantly, um, should there be third parties that you end up sharing that data with, inform your customers of that, right? That these are third parties that we actually work with and they may potentially be contacting you. Mm -hmm. um, that for me helps build that trust. Um, and then, as you said, with the revoking of um, your consent. Mm -hmm. So when they actually called, you could ac actually have told that call center that, please, can you actually inform me where you got my information for from? By law, they mm -hmm. actually are supposed to tell you. Secondly, then, is to actually ask them to remove you from any marketing um consent um, or marketing material um, that you actually have not consented to. Mm -hmm. By law, they have a right to actually, um, they actually have to actually remove your information. Otherwise, then yes, you, you could literally lodge a complaint against the, those particular businesses. And I don't think people have enough money to be paying some mm -hmm. of the fines because there's some big fines that are now linked to Poppy should complaints actually be logged by customers. Mm -hmm. yeah. What companies do you think are incredible in using data strategically for profit purposes that you say, let's say, and these guys are killing it in the game and why? There's three, yeah. right? I'm going to say Amazon. So I shop on Amazon. I've been shopping at Amazon for years, even mm -hmm. before COVID, right? Amazon and how they tailor your shopping experience is just mind-blowing. Okay, from how they actually do their suggestions for products and services that you could potentially be buying, um, how they can just tailor make the experience. Um, that for me, they've got unlock, especially looking at how Amazon originally started to where it actually is now. And it's about the machine learning um, protocols that they actually use because it's about continuous learning, continuous improvement. Another one is Netflix. The Netflix experience, right, uh, for Netflixing and chilling mm -hmm. and how they suggest the type of movies you should be watching based on other genres and even actors and actresses. Um, so Netflix is amazing at the type of algorithms that they actually deploy um, for personalization or customization for the customer experience. And I think another one is Meta. Um, Meta... As I know they've gone into hot, uh, hot water in a couple of European-American um, countries for this, but whether you like it or not, yes, they do listen um, to our conversations, to our Googling patterns, and how they, the marketing pops up when you go on Facebook, on Instagram, based on what you've actually been Googling. For me, I think they've got that unlock because of also the amount of revenue that they actually make at the back of those ads. Um, so for me, those three companies, I think, are really at the, the niche of um, web analytics. Makes sense. They are the top revenue companies, earning companies that we have in the world. And it's because they're using the data and analyzing the data, whether legal or not. In some aspects, it's, a, it's also a conversation for another day. <laughs> because I also always feel like Google doesn't get as much flack 
as your Facebook, for example, even as TikTok, seeing what has been happening with TikTok and the CEO and them having to go into court and explain so many things. Yet Google, I feel like, infringes on our privacy more than any any other company that we have out there. So before we wrap up our conversation, we'd like to end this conversation with like a fast five. Okay. I mean, lover, a fast and the furious. So we call this segment fast five where we just ask you questions and you can answer in one word or a sentence, right? Okay, cool. One word or a sentence in those questions. Number one, what is one thing that you've heard to unlearn? Oh gosh, yeah, that is a deep one, eh? <laughs> I know. Take your time, something that you've heard to unlearn. Okay. One word or a sentence, right? One word or a sentence. What is one thing you've had to unlearn? Okay, I'm going to say it's, I've had to unlearn that it's okay to not always have the answers. Um, I think because of my personality, being A-type, being structured, always reading, always, I'm curious. I'm just a curious being, right? Um, but most of the time, you'll never have all the answers and actually get it right. And it's okay not to. And that for me was something I'm glad I actually learned a bit earlier in my career, where you will never be the smartest person in the room or the most intelligent but that is a great thing because then you get to learn from other people. I am saying a speech and not giving you a sentence. <laughs> that's all right. I'm letting you go on because what you're saying is very important. So I think that's incredible. And the second question would be, name three things that entrepreneurs should do if they're trying to build data-driven organizations. Firstly is just to start Right. Um, I think a lot of businesses fail because they procrastinate too much. It actually never launches from the launch pad because it's always at ideation phase. Right. So first of all, just start. Once you've actually started from day one, start collecting that data. Because the sooner you collect the data and actually use that data to help help you drive decision making, the better. Um, thirdly is actually... Even if for me, you can, um, you, even if you don't actually hire data resources, try and actually upskill. Even if you're the CEO of your own company, try and actually upskill your abilities from a data collection and data mining perspective. As I said, you don't need to be technical, honestly. If you can use Excel, there's a lot. Excel for me is the foundation of business intelligence and data mm -hmm. analytics. If you can use Excel, that for me stands you head above um, the rest, right? Is try and empower yourself because it's your business that you're running to ensure that you're able to have the necessary skills to actually then make those data-driven de decisions. Mm -hmm. And you you can actually get tools. You don't actually need to bank uh, break the bank. There's actually some cheap tools that you can actually get online. A lot of open sources tools that you can actually get online to help you in your business and running your business. So you don't need hundreds and thousands of rands to actually pay for licensing fees for a lot of the tools that are actually out there. Um, so for me, it's those three. And worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> fast five putting oh, me on the spot <laughs> the worst uh, advice you've ever received 
I'm going to say it's to just jump in and not being prepared. Mm. Um, because for me, preparation will set you up for great things and opportunities in life. Where you just jump into things blindfolded and you're actually not sure how deep the abyss is, um, this is where you could actually get burnt. Uh, where people are just saying, I know Nike is their logo, slogan, just do it. At times, you can't just do it without the preparation. And best advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't really advice, but I'm going to say the best was that I'm destined for greatness. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that with every fiber of my being. That's amazing. And finally, if there's one book that you would recommend every entrepreneur and every person watching this now should read, what is it? And I have it in my bag. It is Simon Sinek, Start With The Why because you need to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Whether you're an individual, whether an entrepreneur, whether in small business, whatever it is, you need to understand the why. What is the driving force behind what you are doing? Because for me, then that will help you answer a lot of other questions um, that come at the back of the why. Why do you do what you're doing? All right. Sense. Thank you so much, Nolly. This has been such an incredible conversation. And I know that we'll definitely have you back here to tell more data analytics and how we can grow our businesses. And with that, we've come to the end of our conversation. Goodbye. Thank you so much, Nsila. Thank Appreciate you, Nolly. From the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, this podcast is for all entrepreneurs, leaders, and genies who are looking to learn from those who've walked the path to success. Thank you so much for your support and stay tuned to more Access Genie. New episodes drop every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course on YouTube. Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and your family so they too can be empowered. I hope you're living with a newfound source of energy to go after that life that you want. Good luck. <laughs>